I think that you can smell it right away when someone's just trying to like manipulate you. It's like they'll chat it up, but then the second question is always something about like very sexual. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. how was your day? And do you like to sit on faces? You know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, where did that come from? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Uh, and that's when you make your most authentic connections, I think, is when you're genu- genuinely looking to connect with the human and not what they look like. But it's such a genuine connection because we see them as people. We are April and Scott, creators of NaughtyGym.com, and this is The Naughty Gym Show. For years, we've been fitness and nutrition coaches to thousands of people through our commercial gyms and online platform. We've also spent nearly a decade in an ever-evolving open relationship. This show brings together two of our biggest passions, fitness and sex positivity. Our mission is to maximize the physical and mental health of anyone brave enough to explore relationship structures that run counter to societal norms. We have demolished our old ways of thinking about relationships and from that rubble built a life full of happiness, adventure, and vitality. And now we want to help you do the same. So hop on the treadmill, start the show, and let us teach you how to never stop playing. All right, welcome to the next edition of the Naughty Gym Show. I'm Scott. This is April. (laughs) And we have a special guest today whose name is Luna Matadas. Luna is a sex and pleasure educator who travels the world. I'm reading this, by the way, so I don't forget anything. Yeah, (laughs) She's a sex and pleasure educator who travels the world speaking and coaching. She's appeared in numerous print and interview mediums, presented educational workshops to countless people, both live and online, is a pleasure coach for individuals and couples, has her own podcast all about anal play called The Plug Podcast, (laughs) Recently created her, her uh, very own sex toy that I want to try. I do too. Uh, and has a creative line of clothing and merchandise, one of which was in a mild controversy stolen by a Hollywood model when she wore it to the Met Gala and acted as if it was her own uh, design. So, Luna, we are honored that you're going to be coming with us as part of our all-star team of educators and presenters at our event in Jamaica yes. in January of 2024. It's called Be Better at Being Bad Week. And uh, we want to welcome you to the Naughty Gym Show. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm (laughs) so excited about the Jamaica trip. I'm excited for all the things that you're doing. I'm I'm just so pumped to meet like-minded people. You know, we're all about sexual liberation. We're about body positivity. We're, like, so aligned. It's so great. Yes, yes. And your energy is amazing. We're so excited because we feel like... All of the people that we have bringing, that we're bringing with us have just the same energy, just super positive and loving and kind. And yeah, we love it. Now you've, you've never been to hedonism, correct? No, this will be my first trip. (laughs) No, none of the big like uh, clothing optional lifestyle sort of resorts. You've never been to any of them? Oh, wow. No, it's a big dream for me. So you're helping make this, this taken my cherry of a new resort come true. true. Yeah. (laughs) So interesting because a lot of the team that's coming, you guys have traveled, many of you have traveled the world, been all over the place presenting and speaking and stuff. And very few, I'm not sure if any have ever been to Hedonism before. So it's going to be fun watching you guys experience that also for the first time. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) So just take a few minutes to tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe 
how you were raised a little bit, how you got into this field? I love this question. I think so many people think that being a sex educator means you grew up in a sex positive household. I grew up in a Catholic school system, so I didn't learn, I didn't see a condom. I only learned how to get pregnant. I didn't learn anything about pleasure. And and so it really was a a curious journey for me too. I was kind of curious, but I had a lot of shame around it. And I actually started working in HIV prevention and management and education. So doing workshops around that from a public health perspective. And I was teaching in Eastern and Southern Africa. I taught all over Canada and the U.S., And anywhere, like it didn't matter if I was a village in, you know, outside of Nairobi in Kenya or like a suburb of a U.S. city, everyone was interested in pleasure. So I could talk until I was blue in the face about condoms, but people would say, yeah, but how do I get her to eat my ass? How do I get her to have a threesome? How do I get him to go down on me? You know, like we want to know how to do the thing. And I think like porn kind of most mainstream porn teaches us that you know, everything's sort of intuitive. Everyone knows what to do. It all looks the same, but that's just not reality. All of us can develop sex as a skill. Right. So did you go to school to learn about that stuff? Yeah. So I actually did a public health kind of communications degree. So it was very much about how to communicate sexual health information to different audiences. So the the facilitation part uh, was, was great, but I'd say my biggest learning was being in front of people and having to hold like their vulnerability and see them kind of open up like a flower, you know, be very shy, but then like, you know, ask a question. It's always about butt stuff and you know, just kind of building that trust. And it's great for people to have that kind of relationship outside of educators, like having it with your partner or being curious with even your friends, like talking about what do I like about blowjobs? What don't I like? And and removing that obligation that you kind of have to just do the things that everyone else is doing that you know about. So real quickly, because she's about to go into some questions about some of that stuff that you teach. uh, But are you currently, uh, this is for all our millions and millions of fans, are you currently in a relationship? And what type type of relationship (laughs) dynamic do you have? You know, just asking personal stuff. Yeah, let's get into the personal dirt. So (laughs) I... I, I, I go between non-monogamy and monogamy. It really depends what's happening in my life or who the partner that I'm with. And my current partner, we have a, a non-monogamous relationship. We're both bisexual. And so we also want to be able to have erotic freedom around our, our sexuality. Um, but we do have a hierarchy. We have a, a primary kind of relationship with each other. And we go on separate dates. We haven't played together with anyone yet, but that's something that I love to do. My partner does too, but he's a little bit newer to stuff. So we're trying the kind of like, yeah, like you date, I date, and we keep each other informed. So very similar to when I'm watching your relationship uh, evolve around non-monogamy. I'm like, yes, like that's what we're doing or that's what we tried. Yeah. You you have, you do so many workshops. Like you are just like the guru of all things Mm. sexual, really. Um, And so you have like eating pussy like a champ, seducing the butt, prostate play, plus size sexy skills, um, all about sex clubs. How did you become an expert at all of those things? Mm. 
Yeah, it's a good question. Like, how do you become a threesome teacher? You know, <laughs> you have a lot like of crappy threesomes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I kind of took my all the things that I had learned in school and in the field around public health still very much apply to the way that I was teaching pleasure. But pleasure is way more nuanced. And so it's very much about this erotic empathy. So I had to learn from my own experiences. And I remember the first class that I started teaching was, and from other people. I mean, I take other people's classes all the time too, but my, my first one was how to have a threesome. And I literally had just had so many terrible threesomes. I ended up crying in the bathroom or I felt rejected or my partner wasn't attentive. We didn't have good communication. And I thought other people must be having this problem. And when I started to do research, there is a lot of information out there from people sharing their personal experiences but the the difference between sort of personal sharing, which is valuable, and educator sharing is that we take that information and then we digest it. And so we put it into context of experiences that other people can relate to. Anybody can relate to jealousy. You know, like we've all been jealous at some point of something. And um, I started developing workshops. So my facilitation skills definitely came in handy in applying to each topic. But my approach is always about building confidence communication and creativity. And so that applies to all 35 classes, just in different ways. And I don't teach anything I don't do. So, you know, like I don't no. teach a class on like making tomato sauce because I don't know how to do that. You know, like. What's amazing is, and you said something I think that's important, is you had so many threesomes that went bad and you, your thought was, I, this can't, I, can't only be happening to me. Where yes. a lot of people go, why is this happening to me? I must be the only one. I must not be good at this. Yes. Yes. I started working on body love and self-compassion way before I started teaching classes. So I had that compassion of, I can't be the only one that's like messed up about this. Like, obviously there's some of my own stuff that comes into it. We all have unique insecurities, but the experience of wanting to be long, wanting to be liked, wanting to be desired, wanting to be good at the sex, that's something that we all pretty much share in, in varying degrees. Well, so you've got this sort of broad background of education in a lot of different sexual areas. The, the thing that is going to be probably your focus when you're at our event in hedonism is the sort of kink fetish BDSM uh, world. And there's a lot of over, that's its own community. There's a, there's yeah. BDSM only events mm -hmm. and kink fetish type events that specialize in those things. But we sort of live in that consensual non-monogamy space where we're at resorts or parties or takeovers where almost everybody there is also non-monogamous. Uh, at these events, there's almost always some sort of a dungeon room or a area or a party theme or something that 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 is in this BDSM world. So let's define what those things mean. Is there a difference between kink, fetish, BDSM? What do those terms mean and what can or how do people interpret those words when they hear them uh, before going to a party? Yeah, I think I mean, I'd love to hear what you think about about kink, too. But I think a lot of people assume when I say kink that it's about like leather and whips and like dark arts, you know, like cruelty. Right. 
Um, but actually, so kink is sort of the umbrella. So kink basically is defined according to whatever our society and individual beliefs think is normal sex and then what's like adjacent to that. So anything outside of whatever we consider normal sex is is considered kink. So some people consider butt stuff kink. Other people are like, but butt stuff is how we have sex all the time. So you get to define what kink is, but generally... It's about kind of this this erotic imagination that we have as adults, but then the desire for this like childlike play. You know, we get to use our imagination the same way as when we were role playing when we were kids, like cops and robbers or like whatever princesses and rescue. And then we get an adult sexual reward. And um, BDSM and fetishes kind of fall under the umbrella of kink. So you can be into kink and not be into BDSM. You can be into fetishes and not care about dominance and submission. So fetishes are are usually described as um, something that's non-sexual or like not overtly sexual. So a foot or shoes and someone has a, an arousal because of this object. And it comes from almost a religious setting. So where we thought objects were imbued with like special powers and like inspiration. And then BDSM is bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, and masochism. So that that's its whole sort of set of tools. Um, and I think some people get intimidated. They're like, well, I don't want to be humiliated. You know, do I have to do BDSM? You don't. There's like... The reason I love teaching kink is because it's infinitely creative. You can do anything with whatever you want and call it kink. Well, yeah, that's one of the reasons we wanted you to come to our event is because you bring a more playful, colorful. Mm. Your, your website is pinks and bright colors <laughs> instead of that. And smiley. Instead of that dungeon, smiley, I yeah. want to I want to suck your soul out of your body, you know, look <laughs> yeah. at that Which isn't people. wrong. Well, no, that's either. fine, too. But that's uh, it doesn't. But it can be, be intimidating. Right, yes. it can be scary, yes. and you bring a, yeah. a much more uh, user friendly for new people vibe to the whole to the whole thing. We would like to invite you to a first of its kind event, unlike anything ever done at Hedonism Resort in Negril, Jamaica. It's called Be Better at Being Bad Week. This is the fittest party in the lifestyle. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be a hard body to attend. This party's for anyone and everyone who wants to improve their relationship and communication dynamics, increase their sexual health, learn better wellness practices, and explore and expand their mind, body, and sexuality. Experts from around the world will descend on Hito to help you be better at being bad. Daily keynote talks, interactive technique sessions at the nude and prude pools, exciting competitions and workouts, integration workshops on cannabis and psychedelics, intimate couples yoga, speed dating, and workshops in the Kama Sutra Palace, all the nightly themed parties and entertainment that you've come to expect from Hito and the grand finale, the Red Ball. This event is perfect for people exploring the idea of opening their relationship. Special sessions led by the Naughty Gym, Naughty Gym team of experts will guide you through various Q&A and orientation sessions to help you get to know your fellow attendees. Veterans of the lifestyle can expect all the same high energy sexy parties and electrifying entertainment that made Hito famous with a little extra flair from the Be Better at Being Bad team. Everyone will leave with a wealth of new tools and experiences curated by our all-star team of professionals designed to improve your journey through consensual non-monogamy. So what are you waiting for? Join us January 6th through the 13th of 2024 at Hedonism Resorts for Be Better at Being Bad Week and get ready for the fittest party in the lifestyle. Which brings me to the point 
that I wanted to get to is that for a lot of people, since it is considered abnormal, a lot of this stuff, there's a lot of shame that comes with it. They feel embarrassed. Uh, they don't want people to know about it. They hide it. Uh, even though a lot of that stuff is becoming more mainstream now, there's still yeah. a lot of shame that goes along with it. And that's something you've done a lot of work with. Uh, so talk about how you work with people or help people through if they're experiencing some shame because they have certain fetishes or kinks, uh, how they move past that. Yeah, it's a big thing. I think mm -hmm. I think people are really full of a lot of self-judgment. And some of that comes internally and some of that we've internalized from society telling us kind of like what's good, what's not good. And I work with people to sort of detach. You know, this is the, the thing that you do is, is the thing that you do. It doesn't say anything about your ethics or morals, as long as you're creating a safe container to do these things in. So kink always has to have a beginning and an end. It has to be clear. And um, for a lot of people, the tools help them navigate the shame. Once they have support to build rituals, to communicate with their partner, to get techniques, then we start to ground in, okay, this is something that I'm doing. It's a vessel for more of me. So I can be someone who likes spanking someone, but that spanking is going to be different than if you spank someone, because I'm going to channel my playfulness through it. I'm going to channel, you know, probably adoration and worship through that spanking. Someone else might channel cruelty or pain or authority or discipline or something through that. So I think for, for many people, it's really about communication with the self and figuring out your fantasy beyond the activity. So yeah. why do you want to spank someone? How do you want them to feel? How do you want to feel when you're spanking someone? And most people get into it. They'll come to their partner and they'll be like, April, I want to pee on you. And, you know, that's like, that's like a big thing for someone to hear who's never right. thought about peeing. With no primer. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah we, had, we had a guy message her uh, like two days ago wanting a, wanted to know how much she would charge for a five minute video up close of her belly button. And she just offered, uh, she said, I don't know how much would you. I'm like, I don't, I don't typically, I don't, I don't know. I've never been asked that. <laughs> that was literally my response. I was like, oh. So, he did, so then he offered $15 and we said no. <laughs> For a belly button? That's, ugh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everybody's got that. One element of BDSM especially is this either giving or receiving of pain mm -hmm. as pleasure. How does that work? Why, why does why does somebody have a fantasy of being hurt or feeling yeah. pain as an arousal stimulant or on the flip side of that, giving it as part of their arousal? How does that emotionally work? Yeah, yeah. It's such a good question. It's one of the big things that so many people are confused about because we we have our day to day, right? And day to day, I'm not going to walk up to Scott and slap him in the face. Like that's not, it's not right. consensual. There's no context. There's no eroticism around it. So when we go into these spaces where we want to do things that might feel more taboo, they might be emotionally or physically painful, we're actually pivoting into another part of ourselves, And then that's where we build that container around where there's a clear in and there's a clear out. So for pain specifically, People um, like our, I mean, physiologically, our body responds to pain in very similar ways that it responds to pleasure. So think about 
if you like getting like, do you like the the kind of soft Swedish massages or do you like like the deep tissue? Like you almost come out. Br- yeah, OK, yeah, I figured. So you're like, <laughs> hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. You're like bruised after on your forearms. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> so it's similar to that. Like they're both creating pleasure for the body, but the body responds more intensely in some people by responding with um, adrenaline, with endorphins, all the feel good chemicals from this external stimuli through spanking, slapping, whatever you're doing. So there is like a, a physical reward. And then the emotional reward is that, you know, it kind of goes with the theme at Hito that we're doing. It's like you're being a little bad, right? You're being kind of naughty. You're told not to hit people, not to be hit. And so there's a part of us that what do we do with that? You know, we're we're told like not to do this, but it physiologically feels good. And so the role play around it is also very emotionally satisfying. It's like I get to experience this pain under controlled conditions. Right. So it's not chaos. It's not non-consensual. It doesn't have the same kind of um, experience as if it was happening outside of the bedroom. Right. I've heard um, some doms and subs talk about um, the sub going kind of almost into like a meditative state where it's almost that pain is euphoric. And so it has to be a safe space. And I, I like pain as far as like real deep massage and stuff like that, but I'm a real big baby. And so I, I could understand a little bit. I was getting a tattoo and it was like a six hour session And I did, I was working on breath work the whole time and kind of meditative. And I track like my stress levels and my breathing. And it was the lowest my stress level had been that six hours in like two weeks. Wow. It was just like zeroed out, no stress, just like totally meditative. But it was like, Mm -hmm. I was, it was that breath work and going into that, even though it was incredibly painful, it was like six hours just flew by. Yeah, I believe it. I I think that that space that you're talking about, we call it like an altered state. And it's not like you've left your body, but it's it's kind of a a floaty state. You know, time might feel a little bit different. Your body, the edges of like life kind of soften. And and what you did with breath work is something that a lot of people do when they're receiving pain. They either use visualization, they use breath work, they use um, sensuality. I'm someone who like, I like giving pain more than I like receiving pain. And my whole vibe behind it is I like the power of it, that someone's trusting me to surrender in this space and that I'm kind of a a sensual sadist. So I want to hurt you so that I can kiss it better. I get like to be your world of like pain and pleasure. So it really depends. Some people like the feeling of being able to step into being a bully because we don't like we're all we're all capable of being a bully, but we lock it down for day to day. And so for someone who wants to receive that, um, it's it's an opportunity to play. It's an opportunity to kind of play with taboo emotions and feelings. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the word you mentioned the word trust. It's not as if in most of these situations, the person wanting to receive the pain or receive the punishment or whatever it is, is just going in there and saying, hey, do whatever you want to with me. Although I'm sure there are some extreme cases where that happens. But usually there are, there should always be a meeting beforehand and saying what I'm comfortable with, what I'm not comfortable with. And then it's the dominant person's job to stay within those boundaries and to, and and to try to reward that person within their a preset safety zone, right? Otherwise, it's yes. just now actual torture and you're not 
it's not a sexual thing. Well, is it, <laughs> yeah. Is it a common thing for people in like the sub and dom space? I mean, they typically have a relationship or some type mm-hmm. of relationship with that person. It's not like they're just meeting somebody on field and like going and meeting up with somebody to be dominated for a night. I mean, that's typically not how that would work, right? Yeah, I think most people who are uh, feeling like they care about their own safety, that they've thought about this fantasy, you know, even if they don't have a ton of experience, they're looking for people that are like minded and that they can co-create the conditions for pleasure. So if my condition for pleasure means that I need to be cuddled after you spank me, are you willing to give me that? And that's something I would bring up in the negotiation. I do think, I mean, I'm on field and I see so many people that are like, I'm a dom, I'm going to come over and right. you're going to be my anal whore. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's it? a little that too. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, you're confusing being dominant in an erotic consensual context right. with being domineering, you know, wow. and domineering yeah. is not hot. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And being an asshole. Right. So. Not hot. Not. <laughs> we have, you know, done some mild stuff, but I think people get worried sometimes that they think that if they want to experiment with some t- type of pain player, domination, submissive, that it's going to be this extreme version of it. And it can yeah. be very, very mild. Yeah. Um, even a, just a mild one slap to the butt cheek is still considered BDSM. Well, that's just a very tame, mild version. And we've probably all done that once, you know, so yes, uh, it can it can be whatever to whatever extreme you want, mild, wild. And you set the rules. Yes, that's so affirming for people. You set the rules. You get yeah. to decide what the intensity is like. And it's even from a perspective of, of confidence. If you come in uh, in your erotic scenario at like a level 10 where are you going to go for the next two hours or hour or whatever? So learning that, that ability to warm up emotionally and physically and being able to kind of have it on a spectrum is so much more effective. Like we don't have to come in with a lot of performance. If people are interested in power exchange, I usually suggest it to them in, um, or that they practice in a way that they're already familiar with. So if you already like oral sex, then maybe you hand over the power of your orgasm or when you get to orgasm to your partner. Maybe you try oral being blindfolded. Maybe you try oral with not allowed to like move your hand. So something where you're giving up enough control, but you're retaining enough that you sort of still know what's going on. And that's an easier way to, to ease into things. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not always about pain. It can be yeah. the temporary denial of pleasure, or it could be anything. So it's, it's a very interesting psychological uh, part of sexuality is is how almost anything can seem erotic to us under the right circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Like, have you ever watched someone eat a really good like burger? It's mm-hmm. like erotic, <laughs> you know, or like someone really enjoying their food. They're like, mm, mm, mm. you know, this is. That's like an erotic experience. Not sexual. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Sometimes I think I would. I do that sometimes. I think I would prefer. I think there are times where I would prefer a good burger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You're also a big advocate uh, and lecturer uh, about body positivity. Yeah. And we are too. And we're always worried because we own a gym and we, we coach people online that we're going to be perceived as 
the assholes that think unless you have six pack abs or or something like mm-hmm. that that you're not worth the the time to talk to. But it, nothing can be further from the truth. Right. Well, and for Hedo, <clears throat> be better at being bad week. We're calling it the fittest party in the lifestyle, and we've had to explain that as this doesn't mean you have to look a certain way. This just means that you want to be open to grow as a human. You want to grow in your relationship, in your sexuality, you know, with your partner, whatever that is for you that you want to be fitter in that part of your life. Yeah. So talk talk about your work with body positivity and what that means for you. Yeah. Well, I, I love your approach. Like I, I wouldn't be going with you if I thought, yeah. you know, that that was your definition. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a six pack person. I'm a plus size fat person. And I think fitness, like hearing the way that you've talked about fitness, including things like erotic wellness, including right. things like sexual exploration and adventure, like keeping it fresh. I wish more people talked about it like that. I think yeah. sex gets kind of pushed into the shadows, but actually you know, working on on things like my erotic creativity and confidence, it made me stand a little bit taller because yeah. you're you're more in touch with parts of yourself, right? Yeah. You're more integrated, you're more you're less judgmental. And so my work, actually, I didn't set out to do body positive work, but I just got this feedback from people that were so happy to see somebody that looks like me and that I'm having, I'm having pleasure. I'm having a great time. And because of censorship, because of media, we often don't see a diversity of bodies. And so everyone feels that the people with six packs are having more orgasms than the people with tummies, which is not, it's so far from, that's just media stuff that we've been sold. It does not serve us. Um, And so I want people to be excited and accepting of the bodies that they're in and open to growth and change. You get to do whatever you want to do with your body. So for me, it's about autonomy. It's about liberation. And it's about like not letting other people's voices and opinions about your body get in the way of your pleasure. So I'd be having sex with people. I'd be feeling so good. And then I would catch a glimpse of like, oh, my arm is jiggly. And it would kill my my pleasure. And now it doesn't. So we can yeah. unlearn a lot of that stuff. I'm like, yeah, my jiggly arm is here while I'm having an orgasm. Great. You know? And I still feel amazing, right? <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Well, the, the so the week will be in, at Hito and we'll all be there together. We've got the whole resort. Part of that resort is clothing optional. And another small part of it is clothing or uh, nude mandatory. Nude mandatory. And so for, you know, for people that are uncomfortable with being forced to be naked, they they have the, a huge part of the resort. They don't have to be if they don't want to be. But that has been a concern that when a lot of people have messaged us is like, oh, God, I've never been to anything like this. Do I have to be naked in front of people? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you get over these fears of being naked? I have stretch marks. I have surgery scars. I have this. I feel like I'm overweight. What would you tell a person like that who obviously wants to experience the freedom of being nude in front of others, but is terrified of how they look or of being judged about how they look? Oh my gosh. First, I would tell them that almost everybody has something about their body that they're feeling wonky about, you know, something like we all have stretch. I've had stretch marks since I was like 13. You say, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Right? I didn't even know they were a problem until somebody pointed them out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I think baby steps is really helpful for people that are, are feeling like that. Like you have the opportunity to stay on the clothing optional side and even just practice like, 
decorating your nakedness, you know, like wear a color of bathing suit you or shorts like you really like. You know, it doesn't always have to be about nudity in order to feel confident. It can absolutely be about, yeah, just like seeing your appearance as something that you don't have to hide, but instead you can decorate and you can feel like as a form of expression. So maybe you're going to wear something that's really interesting for people to talk to you about. Um, I think it also helps to do a little bit of what I like to call mirror work. And so before I left the house, I would always you know, kind of body check. I was like, oh, this makes my boobs look saggy or my tummy shows in this. And now if I start doing that in the mirror, I catch my gaze and I just wish myself a good fucking day. And then I'm like, bye, we got to go, you know, because it's so easy to go down that tunnel. And I used to change my outfit six times. Sometimes I wouldn't go anymore where I was going. So we want to stop that thought tornado that happens when we feel insecure. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, I don't know if men are like this, but most women have been doing that since they were little, since they were little girls. And I can remember, um, I've had cellulite since I was probably 11 or 12. Yeah. Somebody pointed it out. And since that time, I was so hyper focused on those dimples. And I would spend hours in my room in front of a mirror dissecting my body and, And so it's easy to get into that pattern, uh, that narrative of, oh, that's fat, but they're going to see that and change your outfit. And I'm not going, I've done that. Like, fuck it. I'm not going, I don't like it. I don't have anything to wear that looks good, you know? And it's not about that because nobody else is going to see what you see. And so we can start changing that narrative. And maybe like you said, do an exercise where once you catch those negative thoughts, you can go, fuck it you're beautiful. Out, Get out the door. Guys have have some of these insecurities too, but it starts first and foremost with how we feel about the size of our penis. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, especially going to a place where you're going to be naked in front of people, you're not walking around with a heart on, right? And so it's going to be a normal size penis. (laughs) Yes. And I want to tell men who are like listening and they're worried about their penis size is that, you know, society has done you a disservice too. like telling you that your penis and your erection is the only thing that you bring to sex is such garbage. And we're all going to have to come into relationship with our bodies over and over again. So postpartum, you know, medication changes, erectile dysfunction. If you're not Jennifer Lopez, you are aging, you know, so like we're always going to have to like (laughs) continually accept this body over and over again. Yeah, that's yeah, good. When, that's good. And one of the things we've talked about a lot is you you do when you first meet somebody, the first thing you see, your first interaction with them is what you see. Yes. And and we all inevitably make some sort of snap judgment about that person and how we feel about them and our attraction level to them. But that instantly begins to change your view of them. You start to see through a different lens the minute you start engaging in a real conversation with yeah. them. And there have been yeah numerous times, and this works both ways, that we were initially attracted to somebody physically from across the pool. And then we got into a five minute conversation with them and we couldn't wait to get to the back to the other side of the pool (laughs) or vice versa. Yeah. We saw somebody that we didn't feel like we had an initial attraction to. And then two days later at the same event, we actually get into a conversation with them and we go, Oh my goodness. How quick, where's the nearest playroom? (laughs) You know, these people are so sexy and it's about your confidence, your energy, your personality, 
that makes such yeah. a huge difference. And the problem is when you are hung up on the insecurities about how you look, it is so much harder to project that beautiful personality that's inside you because you can't stop thinking about, oh, I have this roll on my belly right here. And so now you've now you've also presented a less than ideal presentation of yourself and yeah. your personality to people you might would have an attraction to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you shared that story. I think people don't realize that that's how it happens is that right. attraction. Yeah. Okay. Like we, we kind of see physical attraction, but in, attraction is also interpersonal. Right. I mean, if you're just fucking with bodies, that's, that's limiting. You can do that, but it's, it's not the full range of, of experience. And so right. as I've gotten older, I've also tried to be um, more attracted to interpersonal stuff and really wipe out a lot of the things that we've been taught are attractive so that men have to be super tall and that women have to have this kind of proportion and this. And, and I'm like, really, what if I went out with someone who was five, four, you know, I'm five, seven. So mm -hmm. what, is that person, you know, <laughs> automatically going to not be pleasurable or a good partner? Yeah. Right. So it's really, once we start to even check our own assumptions around attraction, it really helps open up more pleasure possibilities. Right. For sure. hundred percent. Yeah. They need to spend more time developing themselves as a person and Yes. Maybe I'm saying this as an exercise coach, less time in the gym. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. That should, there should be a special gym for like personality. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that's what we need. And part of knowledge, we need a personality coaching. Personality. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Because everybody is unattractive to that person with the six pack abs that knows they have six pack abs. You know, that personality type. It is the totally. worst. Oh, goodness. And, you know, we're coaching people to try if to get... If Scott had six-pack abs, he'd be that person. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. That is... That is not... I don't know. Two we'll days in a row... talk about you. Really. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and that's something we, we've had people tell us before, you know, that they said, well, we would have... We kind of wanted to come talk to you guys earlier, two days ago, a day ago or something, but we didn't know if y'all would talk to us because you're fitness professionals and we're not really in the gym much. And we're like, Oh, please don't ever make that assumption about us because that's okay. the last thing we want people to think. Uh, we're just here to help if somebody wants help from us and, and it's not about being some kind of super fit individual. Oh, I'm so glad people can hear that from you because I'm sure there's like a level of intimidation because of what you do and what your work is. And really, you're also people that are dynamic and complicated. And, you know, there's, there's different things that like I think about the times where I was attracted to somebody's really cute laugh. Yeah. And I didn't know until they laughed. I was just oh. kind of being friendly. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's adorable. You yes. know? And so we can develop attraction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we all make this mistake. Like if you like if I look at a guy that is built better than me, yeah. I assume that he has no reason to feel insecure about the way he looks. Look at that guy. If I look like him, I'd be naked at Walmart. <laughs> but if somebody's on the other side, like if I look at a guy who's not as fit as me, I can be very empathetic to him. I can say, well, yes. look, I understand why he has issues because I yes. have my own. And so we're always empathetic to people that we make that snap judgment doesn't that they don't look as good as us. But yeah. we have much more trouble being empathetic to people to the other side of us that look better. And the, the reality is, yeah, the reality yes. is we all have our insecurities and we all focus. I know that when I'm walking around that nude pool at Hedo, I'm constantly thinking about the parts of my body that I think look the worst. 
Yeah. That's just ridiculous. Until I get enough alcohol in my system, then I don't care. Then you're good to go. <laughs> I get that liquid <laughs> But I love that because it really, whenever I teach people about sex clubs or uh, being in swingers environments, I often tell them to not just talk to the people that they think are most attractive, like start up conversations with people you actually aren't attracted to and practice wow. getting friendly, practice being personable so you can connect better with whoever you end up playing with. But um, I think there's, there's this big intimidation when you look at a website and it looks like all the same type of people and you're like, I don't fit in there. Who's going to want to play with me? And in reality, it's just not true. It's, yeah. it's not true. You're all sharing an experience of being at Hito or sex club. Yeah. And that's when you make your most authentic connections, I think, is when you're genuinely looking to connect with the human and not what they look like. Uh, I mean, we've met some of our absolute best friends that way. And some we play with, some we don't. But it's such a genuine connection because we see them as people. Yeah, it's so much easier to make a connection that ultimately leads to playing if you start that conversation actually trying to connect with them. But if you go up to that conversation going, all right, what do I need to say to get this person in the bedroom? Because I think they're high. It is so difficult because they're going to pick up on that. And that's not what this is about. It's about finding people that you do have that chemistry and connection with. And if you go into a conversation with no uh, expectation and just trying to find out who that person is, it's so much easier to make those connections. That is such a good tip. Yeah, I think that you can smell it right away when someone's just trying to like manipulate you. It's like they'll chat it up. But then the second question is always something about like very sexual. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. how was your day? And do you like to sit on faces? Right. Like, and I'm like, where did that come from? That needs to be like question six. Yeah. Yeah. Six is maybe reasonable. <laughs> Maybe five. So I want to know with all, of all the workshops that you teach, do you have a favorite one that you just love teaching? Oh, good question. Oh my God. It's so hard to play favorites, but <laughs> yeah. Eat pussy like a champ. Eat pussy like a champ is my favorite class. <laughs> right, so when you're teaching that, is it like mostly guys in there or mostly women typically? Or is it different? You know, I don't. I don't know anymore because everyone's online. So I definitely have more male names signing up for my classes than I did when I was in person. I think there was a a big barrier unless your partner dragged you to the class. You know, you're not kind of coming on your own to develop your skills. So I think virtual has made it way more accessible for for men to to participate in classes. Um, But I love teaching it because I, I think it's I've had so many people that are either really bad at it. Um, or they, you know, they've kind of watched too much porn. So they do this thing that I call like pornolingus and they're just like, uh, and I'm like, stop. What are you doing? You're just annoying me now. Is that not, is that not <laughs> <how> you do? <laughs> Scott's like, wait, that's my move. You're going to do that workshop at Hito for us, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. We absolutely. both need to go to that class. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I went to so many classes and I, I picked up skills and I developed my own because I didn't discover my bisexuality until my 30s. Yeah. So I didn't know how to eat pussy. I was in a threesome being like, can you tell me what you like? You right. know, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm like, yeah. I know how I like it, but every pussy is different. Different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and for guys, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to take instruction because it's almost as if we're admitting we don't know what we're doing. Uh, yeah. And I like to 
think that I'm good at it, but you know, there's, even if you are good, even if I was great at it, there's always things uh, you can learn that to be better. And why not do that? Why not put another tool in your toolbox that'll make her eyes roll back in her head? Yeah. So I'm coming. Yeah, I agree. Okay. All right. You're coming and coming. Okay. Yeah. I love it because the blowjob classes are so popular. Yeah. And when I started teaching eat pussy like a champ, there was definitely a vacuum of people want cunnilingus skills. They want oral sex skills, but it's, it was way more that women were more likely to go get skills and then come home. Right. Whereas like you said, there's this pressure on men to perform. So to right. be like good at the thing, Whereas I feel as a sexually confident person, I don't go in thinking I'm going to be the best or the worst. I go in being like, okay, let's get curious about what's going to work for you today. And here are all my tools, you know? And so that's like a way more, it's an easier place to feel confident from is that I don't have to be the best. I need to be the best that you want. Like, how do you want to do it? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's going to be so much fun. The, the people that are coming to this event, you and and I know your good friend Ashley, and it, it, there's going to be so much for everybody. Even the new the new people are going to learn new things with no pressure. They can they can stay away from the wilder stuff if they want and and just experience it their way. Or for the veterans, they can get as crazy as they want, and they've got all these educators around to help them out. I, I did want to ask the question though uh, briefly, and I know you've probably told the story a million times about the little scandal that happened because you yeah, have this, I want to hear this story. You have this yeah. great yeah. line of merchandise, clo- uh, t-shirts and other types of merchandise. And uh, I-, I assume the most popular uh, phrase that you coined was the peg, the patriarchy. Yeah. Which was, is a fantastic yeah. uh, t-shirt or, or phrase <laughs> in its of itself. Uh, but a model, and I don't remember her name, wore a, like a straight jacket or something that she wore at the Met Gala and tried to pawn it off as if it was her idea. And this was something you've had trademarked for years prior to that, correct? How recent was this? This was, um, she did it in 2021. Oh, wow. And it was, um, Christian Dior had created the, the vest for her. And when asked about Peg the Patriarchy, instead of saying, oh, yeah, like this woman in Toronto created it and I get to wear it, that would have even been better. Right. She pretended like she came up with it oh and then God. gave it a meaning that actually isn't the meaning. She was kind of like, it's stick it to the man. And my Peg the Patriarchy has nothing to do with men. It very much, patriarchy hurts us all. Right. And so it's very much about subversion. And so subversion is really taking something and then flipping it on its head. And so the patriarchy is all about that penetration is power, that only people with vulvas get penetrated. And that's just not true. Like we all have an anus, <laughs> you know, we all, it's a great gender equalizer. And so when I created it, it was kind of a cheeky phrase on fuck the patriarchy. It was like, no, actually fuck is still kind of doing what patriarchy does. But pegging is like pegging has to be consensual or it's not pegging. So it's very much about like, let's flip all these scripts that actually don't serve our pleasure. And let's reclaim what pleasure we want outside of this system, outside of the norms, outside of the whatever. Um, So it was a big thing for me because I I had taught, I think I was teaching a BDSM class. And when it finished, I went on Twitter and I just had like a million mentions. And I was like, I'm not that big of a deal. What happened? <laughs> and, and I saw this and my first reaction was, wow, like I'm at the Met Gala. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm not, <laughs> you know, like, and I have such a great fan base and people are so tired of like rich celebrities stealing shit from artists yeah. that 
so many people helped bring up my name in these conversations. Mm-hmm. So I think I won the internet. I think that if you Google it, you will find like all these edits about, well, she did steal this from this queer women of color in Toronto. <laughs> so it, it really helped. Yeah, it was it was really fun. I'm definitely going to bring you Peg the Patriarchy shirts. You need yeah, to have one. Yeah. <laughs> did, uh, did the woman, did the model, whatever her name was, did she ever apologize for this? No, it was very much like a David and Goliath situation. So they kind of just waited for it to die down. It took about a week for it to leave the media and she never responded. Um, Dior never responded. And even though I have a trademark, I don't have a legal team. So it's not like I can fight the trademark. I'm just a small artist educator. So um, I think a lot of people were like, well, take them to court. But it's Dior. Right. Yeah. Like Dior to court. Like, so for me, I just kind of rode what I got from it, which was a a whole new community of people and like love for Peg the Patriarchy in ways that people wouldn't have found it. That's fantastic. So you turned a negative into a positive. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, I celebrate it every year. I have it in my calendar that today was the day that Dior plagiarized me. <laughs> well, so the, how is the, uh, so you, you also created a new uh, butt plug. I don't know if that's the, if there may be a better name. Uh, yeah, yeah. Better name for it, but it looks fantastic. Um, and there's, because we, we do play with that. I, I'm bisexual as well. And so, uh, there's elements to that that are a little bit different. It's got ribs as it moves down, which is where the initial pleasure maybe comes from is that initial entry. But this, you're going to fill that bump. Okay, I'm getting too graphic. <laughs> so how did that idea come up? Was that very difficult for you to create and get it manufactured and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm so glad you're excited about that because I'm definitely going to bring you a Bubbles dildo too. So you're getting you're going to get a little like pegging bubbles package. (laughs) um, So I I wanted to create a pegging dildo or a prostate dildo, like something specifically for anal pleasure, because you're right, like those first few inches are where all the the juicy nerve endings are. And it's also the area of the rectum that people experience the most pain. And so the the bubbles on the, the dildo are kind of intended to massage that area without having to do a lot of like thrust out, thrust in. Right. So I designed it for the givers as well. So if I'm using a dildo on someone or I'm pegging someone, I can do more like grindy things. And those bubbles are going to massage the rectum and start to relax the whole area. So you can use it for pegging. You can also use it for, I've used it myself for uh, anal training. So if you haven't had anal sex in a while, you can use the top part of the dildo um, to kind of open yourself back up. And then you can pop onto the, the two bubbles if you want more sensation. Yeah, April needs a lot of anal training. Our <laughs> goal is to be a butt slut. Oh my gosh, I love it. On it. I'm working on it. Okay, well, you, me and Ashley are going to support this yes, for you. I know. Well, I got the lube that she told, that Ashley Amanda Good. told me to get. So I'm working on it. Okay, I love this for you. I support your butt slut journey. Thank you. Yeah, yours too, Scott. Yours too. He's <laughs> way further than I am in his journey. Yeah, I'm really against everything. <laughs> you're like an anal adventurer yeah you're, you're way out there so frust- i got so frustrated at one point i'm like oh why can't i do this i'm like okay i've got homework now we, we tried 45 minutes and we just never could Ugh. yeah we're working on it. Oh, all right all right you'll get there well, so last kind of big question here for all of us that are you know 
business owners in this sexuality space, I think a lot of times we have big dreams and we, we may never feel like we're all the way there, you know, to where we want to go. But where does Luna want to be? I mean, if you could snap your fingers and have everything you've ever wanted and be doing exactly what you wanted to the level that you wanted to do it, what would that look like? Where are you going five years from now? Oh my gosh, I love this question because I'm not a long-term planner. I'm like, I want to do it. I need to do it now. <laughs> so I, um, I definitely want to write a book. I, I want to put a book out there and especially around the stuff that we talked about today, like yeah. this body liberation, the erotic liberation, all that stuff. And how did someone like me, you know, who is working through stuff, able to experience pleasure? Like I own my pleasure. It's empowering for me. Um, I definitely want to do more retreats with, especially with women. I'd love to take women who maybe don't have friends that are sex positive. Maybe they're single. Maybe they've got a partner that's not interested um, and put them in a space where we can create community. I think it's so empowering to reflect back that inspiration to each other and support each other's journey. And then my last thing is, I really hope someone creates a sex positive platform because I think we'd all be millionaires if we could actually advertise what we do and spell it right oh, and not God. get censored. No so someone out there, create a sex friendly Instagram or something, you know, I think yeah. um, that would really help us. I think people want the information that we both have and we're just so suppressed and so yeah. censored. So yeah. I hope in five years, someone will have filled that void and really allow adult sex education, you know, to be a part of people's like regular consumption of social media. Yeah. yeah it's so frustrating. Our Twitter account gets put on. Yeah. But I feel like the sex positive space has grown so much just since we've started doing what we've done in this short mm. time. I feel like five years from now, it's going to grow just leaps and bounds. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hopeful. I think like there's so many change makers and especially people like us that also have like a business mindset. Right. We're trying to grow things. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll start the next like sex positive. Instagram. Maybe we will. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sell your belly button for like venture capital money. And then I, uh, like... <laughs> how much belly button video? hundred thousand minimum. hundred thousand minimum. Yeah. Plus tip. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I don't have an OnlyFans, so it's uh, when somebody sends me stuff like that, I'm like, I don't, I had, I have no idea. I don't know for free. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's also a little scary for us because we are public and out there. It's not hard to find us and where we live. Yeah. And yeah. So when you start engaging with people, you don't know. Maybe this is a person with a genuine belly button fetish, or maybe this is a serial killer that wants to cut her belly button Absolutely. out of her stomach. Oh God. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be safe for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Well, you're going to be coming to our event in January. It'll be the first time, unless something crazy happens, that we've ever met you. We're excited about that. And yeah. the people coming to our event are going to benefit from being around you so much. So we're thankful mm -hmm. that you're coming. Tell everybody where they can find out more about you and all the stuff. Yeah. And if you have any upcoming workshops that they can sign up for, okay. let us know what those are and where they can sign up. Ooh, yes, yes. Well, you can find me on my website at lunamatadas.com. It's like Hakuna Matadas, but Luna Matadas. And um, my Instagram is pretty up to date. That's where I do most of my social media. Um, and upcoming, I'm actually going to be in the US twice this year. I'll be in Atlanta at a sex conference in September. And I will be in Portland in 
October, I'm doing a, a weekend kink intensive. So if you're someone that's like, I don't know anything about kink, we're putting you in a dungeon. We're teaching you things for the weekend. Uh, we're lock, locking the door on the dungeon. <laughs> what is the, what's the thing in Atlanta? That's near us. Oh, it is? Okay, yeah. Um, oh, I forgot. So I'm doing uh, Sex Down South. So I'm oh, keynoting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and their their theme this year is actually body love. Yeah. So if you, yeah, let me know if you're coming. I'll send you my discount code too, because it, it's such a good conference. Like you meet so many people. Yeah. Academia to performers to artists. Like, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, that may be something we need to go yeah. to. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We bought, yeah. we've, we've had that on our radar for a long time, but it's never worked out for us to get to go. Oh, I hope it does. Then we can yeah. meet sooner than January. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much, Luna. Thank you for sharing your energy with us and all your info. Uh, you're just a pleasure to speak with. And I absolutely can't not wait to hug you. And if you want to meet Luna in person, our recommendation would be to book a trip yeah. uh, to Hedonism in January. And you're not only going to get to meet her and interact, but you're going to get to learn how to eat pussy like a champ. So be, <laughs> there you go. Who doesn't need to know that? <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about January. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, we look forward to talking soon.